0: Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. named the Oprah of the Internet. By Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An Internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How movement dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how if you are ready to take your life to the next level move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not tune in right now to this latest edition of the philippe matthew show and watch your life grow
1: and we're back ladies and gentlemen on the philippe matthew show and i have the dude i have one of the guys sold 25 million copies uh, of his uh, former book, The Shack. And he is now back with a much-anticipated follow-up uh, with EVE that just came out, I think, a few days ago. Of course, I'm talking to William Paul Young. What's happening, buddy?
0: Hey, I think that $25 million figure includes, you know, black market copies in China or something.
1: I'm That's fine. I have I've, <laughs> I have bought a few of those as well. Uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Along with a few movies, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Along with a few movies. We need to talk about that because when you sell those many copies, especially this kind of book and this kind of genre, I think this is going to be a phenomenal movie, don't you think? All
0: right, well, you know what? It's in the can. They're in post-production right now. so.
1: Oh, fantastic. Um,
0: it is, and they've got a stellar cast. It's, it's not made as a low-budget film at all. Lionsgate is the, is the oh, house.
1: Lionsgate. I love Lionsgate. Well, that's great.
0: Yep. And uh, Gil Netter is the producer. He did uh, Life of Pi and Marley and Me and Blindside.
1: Sure. Uh,
0: Papa is played by Octavia Spencer. Um, Willie is played by Tim McGraw. Uh, Sam Worthington, uh, you know, of Avatar fame. Is,
1: Absolutely. Is,
0: he's, he plays Mac, and uh, uh, it's really a great cast. They actually, here's one of the really wonderful things. Uh, Jesus is played by uh, Aviva Lush, who is from Tel Aviv. He's an actor from Israel. And okay. uh, we think... We think it's the first time that a major motion picture portrayal of Jesus has been done by a, a Jew, which is you know remarkable. <laughs>
1: absolutely, absolutely. Well, this you can't be more you can't be more excited. I mean, uh, did you ever think? I mean, of course we're going to talk about the book, but did you ever think you would wake up one day and, and being one of the best-selling authors in, in history?
0: No, not even. Not even in my wildest imagination. I, it wasn't on my bucket list. It, I wasn't in. I never intended. I never intended to do this. I mean, it wasn't intended to be actually published. And I knew nothing about that industry. Of course, I. I read voraciously. I loved books all my life, but. Uh, mm-hmm. Writing, writing was just something as a gift for friends and family. Who knew that anybody else would care about it? You
1: know? Wow. Well, it's funny that you say that. So where did you get – I know you have a, a love for words. I've I read that and heard that in your interviews uh, many times. Uh, where, as a child, did this uh, great, brilliant mind uh, begin to develop and, and, and a love for words and writing?
0: You are so nice. Uh My my kids would so laugh right now. they think, Dad, come on. So, um, (laughs) you know what? I I had some real advantages growing up uh, and some disadvantages, but I grew up as a third-culture kid. I'm um, a year-old missionary kid in the highlands of New Guinea inside a tribal culture, no technology, no nothing. And uh, so books was the way... It became the doorway through which I could escape out of my world and mm-hmm. um, and what was available were the classics you know for yeah. for the most part, so I learned to write by reading the classics and um books by you know mark twain and and uh and then when i when i, I escaped a little bit out of that, I even got into like Edgar Rice Burroughs and Tarzan and you know John Carter of Mars and then. The Hardy Boys, and and then I found comic books. So you know, it was definitely a a, a road up. <laughs> that's that's incredible. So, yeah. but it was by, it was reading that I learned to write, and uh, being in a different okay. culture, I think, helped a lot too. Okay, that's great. So, so the Shack, of course, you know, we're going to talk about Eve, but the
1: Shack was like your, if you will, your breakout uh, uh, novel. It was your breakout piece. Why do you think that was? So that resonated so greatly worldwide.
0: Ah, you know, and it, and it resonated in, in a group of people that, that nobody in the publishing world really knew was there. And that is a lot of folks who were asking very human questions and nobody was talking to them, Mm. Um, whether they were coming from a religious background or they were coming from an anti-religious background. They still had the questions about loss and suffering and, and And in the last number of years the my tradition, which is evangelical fundamental christian um most of the literature that had been produced was even as fiction was really propaganda that is mm-hmm. it was a way to try to get people to make a decision or to accept propositional truths or something
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and it and it did not stir the heart uh, it, it might have engaged the mind here and there, but this, what, what the shack did, and, and I didn't see it coming because 15 copies did everything I ever wanted the thing to do. And <laughs> I did. I printed 15 <laughs> copies at Office Depot because it was a Christmas present, right? And um, But what it did is it gave people a language to talk about God in a way that wasn't religious, and it gave people permission to grieve their losses. And mm-hmm. their stories actually mattered. So, and it did it across boundaries. It did it across cultures, um, religious boundaries, and um, it just became this international phenomenon that nobody anticipated. And um, so, yeah, a breakout in a in the most obvious sense.
1: Absolutely, a sense of
0: humor. Yeah.
1: Do you think that if you had made it a self help book, it would not have had uh, the, the success? Uh, that
0: it would have, of course. A fiction book. yeah, of course. You know, you, the, even the best self-help books are built around stories. So if the story yeah. is good, you know, whether it's Jonathan Living Se- uh, Livingston Seagull or whatever, but but yeah, if it if I'd have written it as nonfiction, um, nonfiction and fiction are quite different um, in that the purpose of nonfiction is to reduce space. That is, I'm trying to convince you that your space should look like my space, mhm <laughs> And fiction is actually creating space. It's like saying, all right, I'm making this big space. You can walk into this space and hear whatever you need to hear. But that's going to be between you and your ability to listen because I'm not here to tell you something. I'm here to open up a space so that you can hear. And it's very respectful in that sense.
1: I love that. I love that. Um, So, you know, kind of like um, when when you have such a huge success, do you feel any pressure? With Eve, um, on that, did you have Eve already kind of in the back burner when you were writing Shack?
0: Oh, and and remember, there's a book in between, and that's Crossroads, which is a yes, it's a beautiful book. And and if I'd a, part of the beauty of the Shack is it's such a monster that you'd be kind of stupid to th- to to think you could do that again. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's just so. That wasn't the point of pressure. Let me tell you what was. For, and it was very short-lived because before I wrote The Shack, I'd already come to the place in my life where I'm very comfortable inside my own skin. It took a long time to get there. But my identity doesn't come from what I do. It doesn't come from being a writer or a published author or any of those kinds of things. I know who I am, and, mm-hmm. and my significance is who is based in who I am, not what I do. So I can do anything. I can clean toilets, which is one of the jobs I was doing when I wrote the shack. So um, when when Crossroads came up as well, we didn't know the name of it. We, I didn't even have a real concept for it, and the publisher wanted to um, to make a deal for one one novel. Um, and I and I told him like, really, uh, you know, there's really nothing here. I mean, we're talking smoke and mirrors at this point, and. Um, and they said, that's okay. You'll have a year to do it. Ta-da. So I check with Kim, my wife, and my kids and my friends, and everybody's going like, yeah, do it. So I, all right. Well, two weeks after I sign the papers, I get a call from New York, and they say, well, Paul, seven languages. have bought your next book. Wow. And I'm going like. Wow. Did you explain to them that, like, there's <laughs> nothing, they're just buying a bear, hair, you know? <laughs> and so so in that moment, I kind of had a little freak out moment. And then and then I thought about it, and it didn't take long. It probably took an hour, and uh, which shows how much healing, because what takes me an hour now would have taken me six months, you know, Two mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm thinking, like, oh, my gosh, you know what? I don't understand the purposes of God. I grew up where, you know, I knew what God was doing and I told everybody. And uh, But I don't, I'm not there anymore. It's way more relational and a mystery to me. And one of my constant prayers in my life is, please, God, unless you, unless you think it's absolutely necessary, please don't tell me what you're doing. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't want to be in charge because I know that if I take controls, you'll always give them to me, which doesn't end well. And um, so I'd rather not know. And and so I, my prayer was uh, about this next novel, which turned out to be Crossroads. Was, you know, if I get to the year point and nothing's there, and I kind of fall flat on my face in front of the world or whatever, I'm in. Mm, mm-hmm. I'm in. I don't. I don't. So want you made your peace with it already. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And
0: then you know. And then four months later. The timing was right. Somebody let me use a place down at the Oregon coast, and I went down there. And uh, for about a seventy-five thousand word novel, I wrote forty thousand words in eleven days.
1: I and, um,
0: I know. Now, and and me... four wow. How did yeah, that happen? Does,
1: do you just channel this? Is this something that spirit just gives something you? Like I mean, what is yeah, your well, what is your process in that? Because that's pretty significant forty thousand words in that period
0: of time. I, you know, it is. And but see, I didn't take the classes, so I didn't know you're not supposed to be able to do this kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, uh, what happens is for me, because I am not a overtly disciplined kind of person. You know, if you grew up in the church, you know about a quiet time. I never was able to have one of those things. <laughs> and uh, and and so the way that I write is like. I gather bones and thoughts and ideas and I toy with them and I talk about them with friends. And then there's a timing to it where it's like, okay, it's time to jump in the river. And when you jump in the river, it just takes you downstream. And and you, and you you most of the time you don't know where you're going exactly, but that's part of the fun of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So when that happens and I'm in that river, it's just like this mad rush downstream where I just – I relax, and it just you know i I lose sight of you know everything else in mm-hmm. uh, for that period mm-hmm. of time. I had this um and this will also resonate i think i i when the shack first came out, and we were living in a little tiny nine hundred square foot place, uh so that I could walk over to the train to get to one of my three jobs and and when it started taking off, and i didn't understand what this was i didn't understand what it meant and um um, and what was going to happen? I didn't see any of that. But I I woke up at about two o'clock in the morning one morning, and which never happens to me. I sleep well, and but it was like one of those snap awake. Tim's sound asleep next to me, and I'm. It's all, it was almost visual. It was almost like I could see a waterfall of creative ideas that was cascading right over top of me, and and just like. For 10 minutes at a time, one idea, and then it would morph into another idea.
1: Mm -hmm, And I'm mm -hmm. sitting
0: there for about, I think, for close to an hour before, which surprises me. It took me that long. Before the thought crossed my mind, I need to write this stuff down. And as soon as I had that conscious thought, the waterfall stopped. And I've never heard I've never heard God speak audibly to me but I've I've gotten pretty darn close and and this was one of those moments where I just felt like God put his arm around me and said Paul that's just like you you don't mm. trust that this is a river you mm. you want to you want to dam it up and then you want to put it into little bottles that you can sell to people for identity and worth and value and significance and security and meaning and purpose and and it it was true there was wow. that piece of me that was still there and it crushed me and i i'm laying there just i'm just sitting there bawling and and i said i'm done with that i i'm done and as soon as i said that the waterfall started for another hour before i fell asleep and i never wrote right. the stuff down but the the lesson in that for me was every time i work on something creatively or i'm in the confluence of what the day holds I remember. I'm in a river. This is a river. I don't mm-hmm. have to I don't have to source it. I don't have to keep track of it. I'll write down ideas and thoughts when it's when it seems to be the right thing to do, but I mm-hmm. don't have to worry about whether it's the river's gonna dry up and suddenly that do something. That's so beautiful. In. That
1: is so Isn't beautiful. Isn't that
0: amazing? Yeah, that was it was such a it, gift it, to me.
1: It it absolutely was. Uh and is. Uh so so do you now just how do you how do you prepare for that or manifest that in a sense? Are you always in the river in the flow, or do you have well, to eat certain things to put yourself we, in that river?
0: See, I think I flow. think we're always in it, and and the question is whether we whether we are aware of it or not. Um, you know, a lot of us we jump in the river and then we immediately start, you know swimming upstream or grabbing boats or or looking for a <laughs> looking for a dock to hold on. You know, because the, the fundamental issue with all of this is trust. Just like it is with all of life. It is, uh, are we going to take the risk of trust or not? And um, trust is the big deal. Um, Everything else is control. Mm -hmm. Everything else is, you know, trying to find a way to secure an identity apart from the risk that's involved in trust. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, And we just do that. So I think we're all in the river. I think the the relentless affection of God surrounds us all, but God is so respectful of us and has such a high view of humanity that God will not take away from us our participation. Mm, I Uh, love that. I love that. Oh, well, How many times in our lives has God come and says, you know, you're so dumb and so stupid about these kind of choices that I'm going to make them for you? Right, no, exactly, never. No, he, he stands there with, with <laughs> arms around me and says, yeah, he's a mess, but he's my mess,
1: <laughs>
0: and, and he and I are in this together, so just so you know, he's, he's mine. And, and I so appreciate that, although I'd, there are many times I'd rather him make the choices so that I would have somebody to blame when it didn't go well. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, <clears throat> sure. So. Speaking on that note, like a great actor or actress uh, who, who who takes on a particular role, uh, I have to ask you that, as a result of writing these three amazing uh, contributions to 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 literature, did you find yourself? Uh, where there was was some piece of you in... When you make this story up and you start to flow, how much of it is uh, William Paul Young in the sense that there's a part of you
0: uh, that's in here telling the story through these things? there's a a lot of it, especially in The Shack. The Shack is incredibly autobiographical. Okay, okay. Um, Yeah, and and I am Mackenzie, but I'm Missy, too. And... uh, And that has to do with, you know, a history of uh, sexual abuse in the tribal culture and in boarding school and all Mm, that stuff. mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. and so a woman from Nashville put it the best. She said, you know, I don't know who you are, but my sense is that Missy represents something murdered in you as a child, Mm. Uh, probably your innocence. And Mackenzie is you as an adult trying to deal with it. And, uh, I showed that to Kim, and she said, "Boy, she nailed it," which is mm-hmm. which is true. I mean, we've had losses in our lives also, but but um, so I'm embedded deeply uh, autobiographically within the shack. Crossroads again, I'm I'm in there, um, not to the degree um, the main character in Crossroads is a rather a despicable human being, and and I definitely had some of those traits, but I built Tony around. Um, some other folks that I, that I know and, uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, that, that one was, um, I think it's a better crafted story and not, not nearly so mine. Um, the shack, you know, Mackenzie's weekend actually represents about an 11 year, uh, process in which I had to dismantle pretty much everything that I understood about, um, what I believed about God and what I believed about myself as a human mm-hmm. being. And, mm-hmm. um, but I squeeze it into a weekend, you know, and that's uh, so there's some elements of it that just um, are too are too crushed in that. But but still, it, it accomplished what I wanted. And that was a gift for my kids to help them understand my journey and how I see things. Mm-hmm. Um, Eve, Eve is a, a little bit different again, um, because I'm I'm not dealing with a generalized question like the goodness of God and the problem of evil, which is mm-hmm. what the shack is about, or how does grace or change get into the world of someone who doesn't want it? And that's crossroads.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But Eve is saying, and this is, and this is why Eve was so arduous for me. I I'm working on a specific narrative, particularly Genesis two and three, mm-hmm. but I want to tell that narrative inside of a real piece of fiction. And to do it in such a way that it remains accessible to a teenager
1: mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. and
0: yet be true to the themes that are have been there for you know through the centuries, and mm-hmm. the scholarship that's been a part of that so and the text itself and and so it became a really different what a uh, dance. Different journey Oh my gosh, and the hard part <laughs> was to not turn it into propaganda to 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 allow it to have its own voice as story mm-hmm. and yet cohere with uh, with the scholarship, which I – and I think I, I accomplished it. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I am thrilled with the outcome, but it, it was tear-your-hair-out difficult. Uh, to
1: <laughs> have you had any pushback, other than perhaps it was within your own self, but have you had any pushback from anyone who says, oh, you shouldn't even touch this kind of text,
0: this is – very sacred, and yeah, you. of course. Oh, yes, yeah. and yeah, and when people read it, they're so attracted to it and so surprised because we have learned to assume our narrative of Genesis 2 and 3, and it has so dominated us that we can't even read the English text correctly.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: um, and so, yeah, it's, it's surprising people, but at the same time, anybody who comes from a damaged history. And has been, um, and whether it's men or women, but particularly women who have been crushed by the narrative of Genesis, you know, mm-hmm. a lot
1: of them have. That's one of the things centuries. that's great about this book is is, is the gender roles that you you, you you bring out and, and, and do so well. And talk to us about that, in, in terms of, of the, the gender roles over over a period of life time, and, and how did you approach that, and why.
0: I approached the whole narrative as a human narrative rather than a gender narrative. And, and this is, I think what surprised people too, is that this is not a book that's about bashing men as much as they deserve it. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Seriously. the, The question is, so if men are so much more obviously messed up than women, how come they're in charge? And did God do that? Um, And so, you know, it changes the whole landscape of the conversation. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: The issue issue becomes one of what does it mean to be a human being? And what if we can move this conversation to a different platform, if you would, than the one that we've been trying to have it on, which is one primarily of power. We've got power here. Power is perceived as a limited um, resource. And so how do we divvy it up and and men who have dominated the issues of power and continue to do so around the world have set the argument well what if there's an, an entirely different way to approach the conversation that that takes it out of the realm of power and puts it into the ontology or the beingness of what it what it is to be human mm-hmm. suddenly suddenly everything changes and i think that the narrative that I'm proposing inside this storyline for Genesis I think is more accurate than the one that we have adopted
1: mm, I love that I love that you You also make a point uh and take the take the reader to to really understand the difference between believing versus knowing, yes, speak to us about yes. that.
0: About and that's what, a, that's sort because of that's a fine Even but you don't want to yeah.
1: be a self-help guy, propaganda, again, here we go, B word, uh, but, but there is a difference between believing and knowing, speak to us on, on, on your views on that.
0: There is a huge difference between the two, especially as we have adopted the idea of, of believing in the West. Believing is an intellectual, and an assent to a set of propositions, uh, I believe this is true, um, uh, as opposed to, I don't believe that's true.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Knowing is relational. And everything that scripture talks about in terms of the depth of the relationship is always around knowing. Believing, the word in the Greek is actually a word that that is in, is wrapped into the idea of trust, which is relational.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: in the West, we have divorced the head from the heart. And we have this huge gap between the head and the heart. And so we've made everything about propositional truth. And we've forgotten that our minds have been bent as well. But we have leaned on our heads and our minds, not that we we need to vacate them. I I Mm -hmm. love logic and I love science and all of that. But in terms of the relational reality of, of beings together, human beings together, this is about knowing. It's not that I that I believe that my, cho- my grandchildren exist, when I'm face-to-face with one of my grandchildren, the knowing that I have for that child and they, and they for me is absolutely unique. There is nothing that will compare to it mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. throughout the planet or throughout eternity. That's, and yeah, and, I and that's as they that's expand, sure. as they expand as a human being, that knowing will expand. And I think it's not love that grows in our hearts um, maybe a romantic definition of love, which I think is mostly illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think true love is totally integrated and based upon knowing. It's, it's knowing that actually increases. And um, I think that's part of what's problem with standing you know, in our Western... It's standing you know, in your... Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, so, so some of what's wrong with our Western theology is that we think believing in God is to make him even more distant more unapproachable, more watching from the infinite distance of a disapproving heart. None of our relationships are like that. The Mm. more you get to know someone, the more you're overwhelmed by the sense of who they are and Mm -hmm. the profoundness Mm -hmm. of that. And at the same time, you know, in human relationships also that, that means that we can be impacted by the devastation of our ability to choose to be destructive. And, um, but again, it's, a, it's about knowing. When you know someone and you know that they know you, you are at home.
1: So let me ask you this, and you, you kind of alluded to it earlier, and that is, what happens when you know God, but then what are the consequences when you start to turn away, which you have gone through that
0: process? Yeah, well, and see, again, we're not talking about knowing as as being able to embrace the totality of the being of God. That is not a possibility. It's not even a possibility of knowing another human being to that degree. Okay. You know, if 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 you if you enter into a relationship, you enter into a mystery and you lose control. I mean, mm-hmm. ask any married man who's <laughs> honest, right? <laughs> right. So when we're talking about God, we're talking about entering into a profound mystery that continues to expand and grow and deepen, oftentimes too deep for words. And that's true for our human relationships as well. We try, we struggle and look for words. And I think that's why we need poets and songwriters and artists who help us find a way to craft language for the kind of depth of of meaning and purpose in relationships that we have.
1: Mm-hmm. In, term,
0: in terms of our relationship with God, that's the only way we're going to know who we are. And this, if we're face-to-face with God, we begin to understand the way God sees us, which is the truth. And as we turn our face away from God, it creates a darkness that then begins To be the place from which we see everything, including our relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And that's the devastation of the human heart Mm -hmm. that we have turned away. And the Genesis story, part of the beauty of it is it states it with clarity. And, And it gives us actually the answer for why men are so much more screwed up than women. It's because in the turning, even though the woman turns away from God, which is devastating, and at least she turns to a relationship. And that's what it says. Your, turn, your turning will be to the man, and he's going to rule over you. And that's not saying, and that's a good thing. It's saying, that's the devastation of the turning. You're going to look to a man, you're going to say, give me identity, worth, value, significance, security, meaning, purpose, destiny. You're going to require of of this human being something that they are incapable of producing. And mm-hmm. when you trap when you trap shame in a set of rela- uh, expectations like that, and they cannot produce it, you're going to get fight or you're going to get flight. Mm-hmm. And, but at least she turns to a relationship. There is something that is fundamentally relational. And part of the beauty of what women do in this cosmos is that they call us back to the truth of relationship. And because God is a relational being. And so that is essential to us. In the storyline, the man doesn't even turn to a relationship. Mm-hmm. He, turns to the, he turns to the ground and the works of his hands.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: he mm-hmm. looks to the ground and says, you give me identity, worth, value, significance, security, meaning, purpose, destiny. And now territory and property and work and the works of our hands becomes the way that we compete and compare and contrast we create wars out of it. We treat other human beings as property. It's all a way for us to feel like we are empowered, and it's all based on shame. And the earth's response to that is thorns and thistles, because mm-hmm. the, earth can't, the earth can't provide those things.
1: Mm-hmm. And the
0: call of the gospel, then, in the face of Jesus, as it were, when we see things with clarity, is to return, to turn away from the devastation of the lies that we have propagated and encircled ourselves with, and to turn and face the light and, and then to know in Jesus the truth of who we are, the way that is the truth.
1: When people read this book, what do you want them to walk away with?
0: Mm, great question. And I have no idea. Um, <laughs> well, part of it is is because everybody comes with their, you know, their own set of experiences in history and <laughs> the the particular way that I write is very layered. So one layer will impact one person while an entirely different layer another. Or that person can read the same thing a month later and hear totally different things because they've moved. And Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I I think if there were some general uh, hopes and desires with regard to what people walk away with, one is... That they have a sense that God has such a high view of humanity compared to the religious, especially Western evangelical, you know, Christian mm-hmm. uh, religious theology, which I still identify myself with, by the way. And uh, but um, that that we have such a devastated view of humanity, and uh, and and so we begin with the idea that that humanity is separated and and um, depraved. And you can't build anything on that. If that's the truth of our being, then we really have no hope. And um, so part of that is to say, look, we've got to to have a conversation about what it means to be human. And, And get away, when it deals with the gender issue, we've got to get away from the polarization of our definitions of masculinity and femininity and begin to recognize that the entire spectrum of the character of God is revealed in human beings. Mm -hmm. Yes, biology makes a difference. It does. Um, It's part of what we bring to the table. But there are so many elements and facets of the character of God that are truly, we define them in either masculine or feminine terms, but they are truly human. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: Mercy. Mercy is a much more... uh, feminine understanding within the context of the scripture itself the word mercy Mm -hmm. is the same root as the word womb and um and it, it is it is part of the maternal nature of god but i want that in my life i want to be a person of mercy i want to be a gentle man i want to be pure at heart and guess what i found out when jesus turned when i turned my face to jesus i found out that by nature and design and by original creation, I am a man who is pure of heart. I am Mm -hmm. a man who is gentle and kind, and I am furious at the devastation that we have done one to another. And I am a merciful being.
1: Uh, You had a recent blog entry about uh, a particular word. (laughs) And... Don't think I don't follow you. I do. Um, and and that word uh, you revealed was responsibility.
0: Responsibility, yes. Not in the Bible. Yeah,
1: that was just fascinating to me. So I have to ask you that question. What is responsibility? What is your definition and understanding of responsibility? Why do you think it's been omitted from the Bible?
0: Well, be, because the way that we've defined it now and adopted it into our religious frame of reference, which is highly the same as the secular performance orientation of uh, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant or whatever, and uh, the work ethic. But it's the, it's some external set of expectations that define you as a human being as either good or irresponsible right either you're responsible or you're irresponsible but the word itself doesn't exist in scripture neither the hebrew old testament nor the greek new testament and and i in my blog i proved it i used the most common scholastic tools to say it's not there it has snuck into some english translations A lot Mm -hmm. of things sneak into the English translations Mm -hmm. because people bring their own paradigms to the translation work. Now, the scriptural idea is is fundamentally relational. Our concept of responsibility is fundamentally not relational, Um, it is something from the outside in. So the scripture always talked about that whole area as an ability to respond, not a responsibility. And there's a huge difference. That says that in my life, as I face the things that I'm going to face today and tomorrow, the things I will face tomorrow, that I, because of who I am and because of the presence of God in my life, the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, the presence of of Jesus and the Father in my life, I will have an ability to respond There is not a precast set of things and formulas and principles that I need to adhere to so that I know what the right thing to do is in a given moment. It's Mm. going to come from the inside out rather than from the outside in. And there's going to be a coherence in terms of the way of my being matching the truth of my being. And the truth of my being is some of the things that I said earlier. I'm a child, but I'm a man who is pure of heart. So the way of my being is going to match that, but it's going to come from within me not some form of external definition of responsibility. Like uh, as a man, you are responsible not to be involved in pornography. You know, you're not going to deal with the issue of pornography by some external law. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a temporary, you know, something that you're going to just either need an accountability group or something. But at some point, it'll fail you. Mm -hmm. If you know who you are, then you will live in a way that matches who you are, and that comes from the inside out. You Absolutely. have the ability to respond. That's a whole different thing. That's moment by moment, daily living, in a world of trust, um, with a God who's involved and with you. And um, so that's some of that frame of reference for that that conversation.
1: Love that. Um, what is your What is your process? You take notes. You you kind of have ideas. I know this is not your last book. I know you're going to be working on many, many more. Um, what is your process now? Now that you are a successful uh, author and writer, um, has your process changed over the, over the years? No, you know,
0: no, it hasn't. Um, really? Yeah, it hasn't. I mean, that's I've gotten, a I'm i i I'm a better writer than I used to be, uh, but, but that's just maturing and, and getting older and, and working with words and crafting what you do. Um, so I think that, you know, there's a progression in terms of the skill, but that's just because you work at something. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the process itself, nah, it's pretty much the same. It's, you know, um, and who knows if I'll write anything. This is the, part of the beauty of this is that I don't have to. I, and I'm not talking about because I have uh, financial freedom not to, that's, that's never been the issue. Um, I, when we had nothing, I knew that that the opposite of more was enough. I, I learned that having nothing, that the opposite of more is enough, and we always had enough. And um, so I'm I'm comfortable with not that not being a driver. So identity is not a driver for me. Security is not a driver for me. So I I get to just continue to be who I was already becoming. And mm, and see. that involves you know the process, which is which is a very wonderful place to be because I, I know that a lot of folks they don't feel any of that freedom yet. They are absolutely mm-hmm. driven by by something, by some expectation or thinking that something's going to fill that emptiness inside their heart and mm-hmm. finally achieve something that gives them identity or worth or value or significance mm-hmm. or security. And it, and it's not. Um, this is a this is a i could be dead by tomorrow i'm i 'm not going to waste my time trying to figure out huge massive agendas on 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 how to how to get more you know so I get to play very comfortably inside the narrowness of of what i can do and and i 'm i 'm thrilled that other people have have come alongside and that it 's touched their hearts and that it's an, impacted them. Uh, what an honor to be inside the holy ground of other people's stories.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: But if it all goes away tomorrow, I'll be fine. I, I am not defined by what I do, so I can do anything. And if if that means at some point I'm cleaning toilets, that's what it means, I'm, and I'm good. And you with know
1: it. what? I think that's what comes across in your books. I think that's what comes across in your
0: writing. Mm-hmm. I
1: think that's. A, I think that's a part. Yeah, I really do. I think that's a part of your success is that. You know, it's, it's that undefinable language. Truth recognizes itself. You can't necessarily articulate it sometimes, but you feel it, and you know it when you see it or feel it. or Wow, hear, back or to think. knowing, Yeah. You know, it goes back to that knowing. So I think that's what it is. I think you're truly living your, 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 your purpose, and, and, and you're being honest with yourself and
0: your relation with
1: uh, uh, God.
0: Thank you, and and you know what? It's so much simpler this way because I don't worry about purpose, I don't worry about mission, I don't worry about calling, I don't worry about any of that stuff. That's <laughs> all to me. It's all complicated, you know. If I get to be Paul Young. Nobody else knows how to do that. If God wanted me to be someone else, He'd have made me someone else. And and part of part of what has emerged ha- has incorporated my stupidity, my ability to betray. The ways that I've hid historically, in terms of being a liar, all of those things which were part of my damage growing up,
1: Mm, mm -hmm. having
0: to work that stuff out has now become part of what I get to present or craft or articulate or creatively express. And um, that's see that's the beauty of a God who who actually is respectful climbs into the middle of our stuff with us and changes things that are dead into things that are living Mm. turns something horrendous like a cross into an icon and a monument of grace
1: Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well said how can people get in contact with you of course we know we can get the books in all the bookstores and Amazon and what have you but people who want to interface with uh, uh, Paul Young on 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 a daily basis how can they get in contact with you
0: they can uh let's see the wm which is for william i go by paul which is my middle name um wmpaulyoung.com uh will link you to all kinds of stuff that i don't understand and uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the books you can get you can get anywhere uh there's you know uh, somebody's always having a sale somewhere so <laughs> but um yeah through facebook i I do keep up on the emails and I you know got a P.O. box at the back of the book and stuff like that that I that I get communications with and I'm only a couple, well, a couple thousand behind. But um my <laughs> bad.
1: Not bad not, you know?
0: Impressive. <laughs> impressive. Oh, yeah. So yeah, no, it's it's simple. And I have, there's all kinds of stuff on YouTube and all that stuff. Like I said, things that my kids and my grandkids understand a lot better than I do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, my friend, for being with me. I would love for you to come back and and, and talk deeper. We're supposed to go only 20 minutes. We've gone double that time, and, and it's been absolutely well worth it and wonderful.
0: Lee, thank you so much. It's been an honor to be with you. Uh, I always enjoy these kinds of interactions. You've asked incredibly great questions, so I appreciate that.
1: Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you as well. You take care. You too. All righty. Bye. Bye-bye.